You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. Priming question, sort of get our minds focused. Uh, so, show of hands, participation time, really engage with this, right? Show of hands. Have you ever felt as an outsider or left out or, or, or maybe singled out or an outcast in any way? Maybe it's something you did or said in a group of friends that you felt, oh, I, I'm just outed myself as that one, right? Or maybe it was a rumor that was started about you, or maybe it was like you were left out, you were last picked in gym class or something, right? We all can maybe, I think if we stopped and thought about this, we've all felt these feelings. We've all experienced this. It's sort of a universal of human life as in communities. At some point, we've probably all felt left out in some way or another. It's universal, but it's still painful, still hard for us. It leaves marks, it leaves wounds. And I want us to start with that feeling, to keep that feeling in the back of our minds, because where we enter in our passage this morning is we see Jesus encounter a woman who is the mother of all outcasts in her current society. You can't get more of an outsider than she was. And that's who we're going to see this morning. We're going to see Jesus interact with her. Now, if you were with us last week, you know that we're, we're in the middle of a five-week series, speeding through the Gospel of John, just five quick passages in the Gospel of John. Each week, we're looking at Jesus encountering someone else, having a dialogue with someone in this gospel. And as I said last week, and uh, I will say often, uh, John is the perfect place to start because, well, me and the elders, we decided it is. <laughs> and so John is the perfect place to start, I think, each, uh, in this school year because it, it brings us face-to-face with Jesus. And here in Aligning Life, we are all about living life with, like, and for Jesus. And you're going to hear that from us a lot. You see it on our t-shirts. Um, kids have them. Kyle's got one on now. We're all about living our lives with, like, and for Jesus so that others can live their lives with, like, and for Jesus. And John's gospel brings us face-to-face with that Jesus that we can live with him and we can learn what it's like to live like him and to go and be for him. John tells us in the end of his gospel, he tells us the purpose of his gospel. He's just straight up straightforward with it, right? He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these, as in the previous 19 or 20 chapters, were written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So if John has done his job, which I say he has over and over again, I say John has done his job. If you study the Gospel of John, you will conclude Jesus is who he truly says he is. He is the Messiah. He is the long-awaited, promised one. And you'll be able to conclude what he wants from you. He wants you to put your faith in him, to live your life with, like, and for him. And that's what we're doing here. Now, the Gospel of John, uh, it's organized in a very methodical way. And if you, you've been around before, you know I like to give you the, sort of the handhold of, of the book, like how it breaks down, right? And we don't have slides, but that's okay, because I'll just explain it to you real quick. And it'll be not as good as even my mediocre visuals always are. Um, the Gospel of John's 21 chapters. It starts with a prologue and an epilogue that sort of frame in the ends, sort of put the bookends on the book. And they give us deep theology and help us shape the edges of the book. And then John shows his, his intention. He comes true on that intention. He focuses seven of the 21 chapters of the events surrounding the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, the, the pinnacle of Jesus' ministry. Seven of the, the third of the book is devoted to that. 
You know, throughout the book, you can, you can look at there's seven miracles or seven signs that reveal who Jesus is. There's seven statements about uh, who Jesus is from his own mouth. I am, the I am statements. If you want to, we've, we've studied those in the past here in Aligning Life, not that long ago. And there are seven key discourses, some of which lead to I am statements. That Jesus is engaging with an individual or a group of individuals, revealing who he is. And those discourses, we're taking five of those, and that's what our quick study through John is this fall semester. In this short series, we're going to, series, we're going to look at five discourses to reveal truth about, that Jesus reveals truth about himself and who we are in relation to him. The whole Gospel of John, we can maybe summarize it down to this, uh, answering two questions. Who is Jesus and what does he want from me, right? Who is Jesus and what does that mean for me? How am I supposed to respond? As we engage with these discourses, we're going to answer those questions. We're going to see those front and center. That's sort of the background. It's the frame-in for our passage, thinking about being an outsider, what John is all about. Let's, let's zoom in on our passage. Let's get to our passages this morning. Remember, I asked you to keep that outcast in the back of your mind because who we're going to meet right away, we're going to, we're going to meet a woman in John chapter 4 in our next dialogue who's completely on the outside of her society completely on the outside of the religious system, about as far away from God everybody thought as you could be. Yet Jesus, God in human flesh, engages with her. And he saves her. And that's what we're going to see in these 26 verses this morning. A woman with the deck stacked against her by society's standpoint meets Jesus and accepts, he accepts her. He saves her. Because Jesus saves through real relationships, not religious ritual, not getting it right, not having the right religious systems in place, not cleaning ourselves up. It's through faith in Jesus that we're saved. Jesus saves us through faith, not because we look or act or are worthy of being saved. He saves us. He loves us because we have our faith in him. And our passage illustrates that very clearly. So let's unpack that. Let's, let's get at that truth this morning. We're in John chapter 4. I usually uh, would have the, the verses up here for you, and we keep talking about that. I'm gonna, it's just awkward for me because I was planning to have those up there. But you can, uh, I, I teach from the ESV, if that's helpful to follow along, if you have a Bible app, or, or you could probably Google for it and find. But John chapter 4, we're going to do the first 26 verses, verses 1 through 26. And the ESV translation is what I'm, I'm using if you want to follow along more easily. You don't have to read that translation. That's just what I teach from. So let's, let's uh, dive in here. I'm going to read the first six verses, and then we're going to pause. So. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and, dis- and baptizing more disciples than John, and John does this, he gives your, his parenthetical statements, right? He says, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, Jesus, he, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And he had passed through, and he had to pass through Samaria, So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So this is the scene. This is where we encounter our next dialogue. Beside a well in Sychar, in Samaria. Jesus and his disciples are making the journey from, Galilee, from Jerusalem back up to Galilee. That's about a three-day walk for them. So it makes sense that Jesus is weary. Halfway through their journey, maybe. 
They've been walking a while, and they have a while to go. So he sits down. Not only that, John tells us that it's the sixth hour of the day, which is confusing for us because we don't count time this way, but it's noon. They started at 6 a.m., and, and so it's noon. It's, it's the middle of the day. It's hot. It's hot in the Middle East like it was this week here, right? If you walked across campus and felt weary from walking across campus, they've been walking for a day and a half. They're weary. They're tired. It's hot. Jesus takes a seat. Now, the fact that they're in Samaria, Samaria is also noteworthy. Samaria refers to what was the northern kingdom of Israel. And, and this will be a brief history lesson for you. Just bear with me if history is not your thing. It's important context. Now, the, the, the tribes of Israel that broke covenant with God so severely that they were exiled. They were conquered. This is the, that's the northern kingdom. They were conquered by Assyria in 722 B.C., and many were carted off to the far reaches of the Assyrian Empire, and other foreigners brought back and settled in their place. And never to return. Now, the result of these, these intermixed with the foreigners is that the, the Israelites in the northern kingdom intermarried and blended their, their religion with those of the foreigners that came in. And the region, it's referred to as Samaria after its capital city. And the, and the Jews in, in, uh, in the southern kingdom, in, in Judah, they, they saw these, the Samaritans as a constant reminder of the unfaithfulness of these tribes to God. They were the, the half-bred Israelites, the, the not quite anymore. They had adulterated their worship. They they'd mixed it with others. The historic records, they tell us that, that the animosity, the dislike between the Jews and the Samaritans is so strong. And you know this if you've studied the, the uh, parable of the, the Good Samaritan. Their dislike is so strong that Jews even prayed that God wouldn't hear the prayers of Samaritans. There is tension. There is animosity between these people. These are their spiritual enemies in, in, in many ways. They're in Samaria. It's an important aspect for a bunch of Jewish guys going up to Galilee. This is why John, or John tells us they had to pass through Samaria, right? It's not necessarily a place they would choose to go, but it is the shortest path to get up to Galilee. The most direct route. And this meant that a band of, of Jewish brothers doing ministry went into enemy territory, spiritually speaking. One other note on the setting. Remember, I said... Uh, that light and dark last week, if you were with us, are, are key themes that John uses. He, he draws those out to us. He tells us about the setting. They're highlights in the gospel, so you can take note of that as you're studying it yourself. Last week, right, Nicodemus came to Jesus in the darkness of night. And their dialogue revealed the spiritual darkness he continues to live in. He didn't get it. He didn't understand. Yet now, something different's happening. It's noon, light of day, bright, being in that maybe something different is about to happen. Maybe a different dialogue is about to take place than what took place with Nicodemus. As you think about your, this setting, what I want us to grasp from the standpoint of Judaism at the time, from the standpoint of what everyone was expecting Messiah to do and be like, Jesus is in the exact wrong place. He's in Samaria. He's sitting by a well. He's not in Jerusalem. The wrong place for Jesus. In their eyes, in the worldly standards, 
but it's the exact right place for Jesus. The exact right place to encounter the right person he wants to encounter right now. Let's keep reading and see how that goes. Jesus is sitting beside this well in Samaria, and next we're going to see why he's there. We're going to see him encounter this woman and talk to her about wells and water. Simple conversation. Last week it was born again. This week it's wells and water. Picking up in verse 7, we're going to read until 15 this time. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Another parenthetical statement. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So Jesus is alone here. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, right? So John's helping us along a little bit again. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, and as did his son and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me that water, this water, so that I will not be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. As we established, they're in Samaria, right? So it's totally natural that a Samaritan woman would come to this well, right? This is where she lives. This is her well, in in many ways. Jesus is the outsider. What is unnatural is that she comes alone. The middle of the day, that she encounters a Jew. All unnatural. See, gathering water... in, in this time, in society, in this, in this culture, it was typical work that women did, and, and it was done in the early morning hours of the day. Before the sun was high in the sky, before it got hot, it was early morning work. The women of town, they'd, they'd go out to the well, they'd gather water, they'd congregate, it'd be a social time, hence to see and interact with your neighbors. They, as they gathered water, fresh water for their families for the day, They'd have a chance to interact with those around them. Yet this woman, she comes out not in the morning, not when everyone else does. Comes out in the heat of the day when no one else would go. Comes out intentionally, alone, to not be seen, to not interact. Maybe because she's unwanted or maybe because she's the outcast. We don't really know. We just know that she's coming at the time when no one else would. And there's a reason behind that. She's alone, and it's intentional. She comes in the heat of the day when no one else would make the journey. So having made the journey, she is shocked not only to find a man there, but a Jew who asks her for a drink. And she says as much, doesn't she? 
How is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? See, in the eyes of the uh, religious Jewish practices of the day, even Jesus drinking water from the bucket she would retrieve water from that well would make him ritually unclean. He would have to go be made clean again, sharing uh, utensils or sharing drawing well, water from the same, or drinking water from the same bucket. So she knows that she makes him unclean in, his, in their eyes. Not only does she know that, that Jews hate Samaritans, have no dealings, wouldn't even interact, but she's already doing. He's asking for a drink. This blows her mind. That Jesus isn't concerned with political factions, religious divisions, religious rituals, clean or unclean. He's here to reveal truth, to bring forth the kingdom, declare the kingdom of God. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? To which Jesus responds, if only you knew who I am, you would have asked me for a drink and I would have given you living water. Only you knew who I am is essentially what he's saying. Which, let's, get, let's get a little background here. Living water. There's, there's a, this is a common phrase in their language, and it meant something then, right? Living water meant moving water, like a stream or a river, right? It, it was water that wasn't stagnant. It was moving. Much of the water, though, in this arid climate came from wells and cisterns. And if you don't, a cistern is just a, it's a dugout patch of ground where you could ke- collect rainwater or runoff and, and, and use it later. And wells, you know, dig deep down, just like we have them today. You dig deep down below the water table to access water and then, and then haul it up. The living water was preferred because it was fresher. It was cleaner. It didn't require much work to get it. It's just go to the stream and, and, and take it back. You didn't have to dig. Living water was also seen for, used for uh, purification and, and uh, religious ceremonies. It, uh, it was the better water. So when Jesus is telling her, if she only knew, she would ask for living water. This woman, got to be scratching her head. Like, look, I, I live here. I know there's no stream around here. There's this well. This is where we get our water from. Who, you, you are a Jew and you're mistaken, right? She's, she's not sure what he's talking about. There's no stream here, Jesus. There's only this well. She goes on to inform him, sir, you have no rope or bucket. You have no way to get the water. It's really deep down here. How are you going to give me a drink, right? Jimmy goes on. She, she presses him. She says, Jacob, our father, one of the patriarchs of the faith, he gave us this well. He drank from this well. This is how he got water. Are you better than him? Are you greater than him, right? Are you greater than Jacob? If only she knew. If only she knew who she was talking to, right? That's the whole exchange already. If only she had eyes to see, she would know someone greater is standing before her. God in human flesh stands before her. She's dressing him down. You don't have a rope. You don't have a bucket. It's too deep. How are you going to get water? You can't give me water. What are you talking about, right? She doesn't, doesn't know what's going on here. Or maybe he thinks he doesn't know what's going on here. You know, just like Nicodemus last week, right? They're missing each other in the conversation, right? Just over the head, you know. Everyone thinks it's going over the other one's head. You know, they're, they're talking, Jesus is talking about something else. Not living water in, in, the, in the 
common vernacular, not living water like she's assuming. He's talking about it in the sense that God uses in the Old Testament to describe himself as, as the source of living water, the flowing of life throughout the Old Testament. Specifically, he uses this in Jeremiah a lot. If you study Jeremiah, you'll see this phrase over and over again. God refers to himself as the fountain of living water that the people have forsaken. It's the source of life. Living water, in that sense, living water from God. It's water that bubbles up, that wells up and fills us, gives us eternal life. Drinking deep from the Lord, engaging, finding your life in him brings eternal life. Jesus is saying what he's after. It sustains us. It rids us of our thirst. We thirst no more when we drink deep of living water. God gives us water that extinguishes our need to keep returning to lesser sources, fleeting passions, fleeting, passing material things in our world. Deep, let's, let us drink deep of living water and have eternal life. Message as engage with God. Find your life in God. You'll be satisfied. You'll thirst no more. You know, maybe it's the weight of this woman being a social outcast, the hardships she's endured, or the difficulty of gathering water in the heat of the day. Whatever the reason, when she hears what Jesus says about this water where she won't have to come back again, where she won't be thirsty again, she's all in, right? Give me this water so I don't have to come back here, right? Her response, sir, give me this water so I don't have to be thirsty or come here again. Save me from this present reality. Save me from this constant thirst that plagues me and brings me out here in the heat of the day. While she's all in and she's asking Jesus for living water, she still doesn't quite get it, it seems. Just okay. It's okay. Jesus is, he sticks with her. He doesn't, he doesn't say, you, you, you failed the test. You missed it. You didn't know what I was talking about. Remember, remember Jeremiah, living water. Not this. Not. Jesus stays with her. He helps her. He helps her along. She doesn't have to get her theology sorted. She doesn't have to know exactly what's going on. She doesn't have to know exactly who God, who, who God is and, and what he's revealed. Jesus is there offering eternal life for where she is, where she's at, and what she understands at the moment. The knowledge she has, she wants more. So Jesus engages with her. He stays with her. See, they started their dialogue, and, and she's confused about what water they're talking about, right? She's talking about the wrong water, but they end up, she ends up wanting it from the right source, right? Even if she's still confused about what water, she knows Jesus is the source for something important that she needs in her life, that she wants in her life. Let's finish our passage and see how this continues to, to wrap up. Here we're going to see Jesus reveal truth, truth about her and truth about himself, which ultimately leads to salvation. Picking up in 16, and we'll read through 26 this time, the end of the passage. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The, the woman said to him, Sir, I, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that 
in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I am Messiah, the way that Jesus I am who you are waiting for. I am who you are looking for. I am who will reveal all things. Now, if you're like me and everybody else in small group, right, this, at 16, this kind of takes a turn, doesn't it? It kind of seems random, right? We're talking about wells and water, and then we're talking about how many husbands this woman had, and then we're into a religious debate, and we're talking about Messiah. Like, what happened, right? Where did this go? And this, believe me, this isn't random, right? This is the culmination of the conversation Jesus was going for. This is where it was headed from the start. Her sin is revealed. It's laid bare. We learn why she is the outcast. And ultimately, we see her salvation. Jesus begins this exchange by shining a spotlight on her sin and her situation, right? Until this point, we know she's just an outsider, right? She's avoiding coming to the well uh, when the rest of the women in the town do. We don't know why yet. We just know that that's the case. She's alone. And then here we have it. She's living with a man who she's not married to. And the text is clear. She's living as if she's married with him. You can fill in the gaps. Uh, and even if she had married, been married to him, this would be her sixth husband, right? Even, even if there were righteous situations, six husbands would be shameful in the society. It'd be, it'd be a concern. Something would be questioned. There'd be talk in the town. Whatever the situation is, this is the source of her shame. This is the reason she's here alone. Whether it's failed marriages that got her in this place, whether it's she's been taken advantage of or she's taking other advantage of others, or maybe she's just thirsty, right? I mean, use the common language. We don't know, and Jesus doesn't care. He doesn't engage with it. He knows her. He sees her. He points it out. And despite it, despite knowing all of that about her, an, an adulterous woman from Samaria, outcast from her society, he's here to see her, engage with her. He's here to take a drink from her, to talk to her, to be with her. Which I'm sure is more than she's gotten from her fellow townsmen in a long time. And maybe, maybe it's just too uncomfortable for her to have the spotlight on her sin, because it is, right? It's uncomfortable when somebody points out sin in our lives. 
that, that could explain enough the, the change of subject right away that she offers. She realizes something is unique about Jesus, right? She says, uh, you must be a prophet, right? I can tell you're a prophet. Right? She realizes he's, he's maybe a man of God, that there's something, she's, he's marked by God. And, and speculation, but five previous husbands, we can only imagine what religious leaders have told her the way she's been treated. Perpetually unclean, she's unwanted, unwelcome services, Jesus. Perceiving him to be a, a man of God must be uncomfortable. Maybe it's just her sin, but she changes the subject, right? Where should we worship God, right? She goes right to this, this big religious debate. You, you can summarize this as like, this isn't like, let's, let's just debate this minutia about how do we interpret this passage in the Old Testament, right? No, she's like, let's get at the heart of this. Who's right, the Samaritans or the Jews, right? Should we worship here or there, right? This is just the, the heart of the divide between them. She's, asking, she's not asking him to explain deep theology or deep mysteries of God. She just wants to know who's right. Where should we be worshiping God? Jesus' response continues to reveal that religious ritual isn't the point. Asking where the right place to worship God is, is the wrong question, especially in light of Jesus. Because in Jesus, a time has come where all who worship and worship wherever they are. Whoever they are, they can come to God. True worship is marked by spirit and truth, not by right location, not by right religious denomination or practice, not this mountain or that mountain, Jerusalem or Samaria, by this worship style or that worship style, or, or this Bible translation or that one, not this denomination or the other. True worship is what God is after. In fact, Jesus says, God is looking for true worshipers that get that. Those that don't draw unnecessary boundaries to keep others out. To decide who's clean and unclean, worthy and unworthy. Not, not ones that hold to, we have the superior way of doing it. Our theology is better than yours. Our worship style is, is more authentic than yours. Jesus clarifies that salvation comes from the Jews, right? We worship what we know. You don't, but salvation comes from the Jews, but it doesn't stay there. God is after all who will truly worship. God is seeking true worshipers, and the time is now in Jesus. The woman, she's, she's tracking with him. She acknowledges that she knows he's, that Messiah is coming, right? Like, oh, well, something's changing, right? Messiah's coming. The one that will reveal God's kingdom and speak plainly to us the things that we've gotten wrong, right? Is essentially how we can summarize what she's looking at. He'll explain the remaining mysteries of God. He'll, re- he'll reveal everything that we need to know. Just as Jesus has been doing. Just as he's been revealing to her. And Jesus responds with a mic drop moment, right? I am he. I who speak to you am him. I'm the Messiah that you've been waiting for. You know, last week, Nicodemus, a religious leader, the one that was supposed to get it, couldn't grasp it. He couldn't see it. Here, in Samaria, an adulterous woman gets it. She sees Jesus for who he is. 
in their discourse, in their dialogue, the key point, key thing we see for them and for, and for us. We put constraints on how we worship, right? Whom we worship with, where we worship, the style. It's all about worshiping God, the right God, Jesus. It's about being filled with the Spirit, it's about worshiping the true God. It's not about the wrong constraints, right? Worship style, denomination, location a lecture hall, or a cathedral. How old your denomination is. Now, about right worship, about who you're worshiping. About our hearts being pointed to God rather than defining who's out. Worship that pours out our hearts to God. Worship that is about being in a holy place because God is there and we're worshiping him. It's worship that's empowered by the holy person of Jesus and the spirit that dwells us and dwells us as believers. And so as we, as we wrap up this passage, brief survey of this passage, I want us to reflect on what the story reveals to us about Jesus. See, it's easy, and, and often, and I struggle with this, it's easy to make the story about the woman because we, we see so much about her. She's not the main character. Jesus is. If, if you're ever reading the Bible and you're, and you're making a conclusion that, that the, the main character is Paul or, or Caleb, right? It's not. The point is to reveal something about God. The Bible is the story revealing God to us. Jesus is the main point. The woman's important. She's very important in the story because she reveals what God is like what Jesus is like as he engages with us. It's important because no matter who you are, no matter how far we think we are from God, no matter how far religious establishments tell you you are from God, Jesus is near. Jesus is sitting beside the well to meet you and save you. However lost or isolated you might be, however, however controlled by your past or the wrong things that may have happened to you or you did, doesn't keep you from God. Jesus is sitting there waiting for you. Waiting for you as you, as you approach in isolation. Waiting to reveal he is your Messiah. He's your Savior. And he wants you saved. He wants to quench your thirst with living water. He wants to relieve you of that fleeting sin that you keep going back to, that you keep thirsting for. We don't need to get it all figured out first. You don't have to go read the whole Bible first. You don't have to read a systematic theology. You don't have to be able to even be able to articulate it clearly to your friend. We don't have to fix our sin problems. We don't have to clean ourselves up. We don't have to go forgive people or be forgiven for our past. Jesus is there to save us where we're at, no matter what. Then, 
than the, the life he puts in us, the, the eternal life, the, the living water that bubbles up. It, re, it renews us. It redeems us. It transforms us, and our lives begin to change. We, see, we seek forgiveness, and we seek change. Because that's the power of him in our lives. But faith, starting place. Jesus meets you wherever you're at. In our, in our story, this woman, she goes from being suspicious of who Jesus is, right? She sees a random Jew talking to her against all social norms and all religious you know, practices of the day. Then, then, as they engage, she, she addresses him, right? She calls him sir. Respectfully, she talks to him. Sir, as she questions him about living water. Still suspicious. Then she recognizes that he's from God, that he knows things about her that tell her that this is a man of God. So, so he must be a prophet. She's learning more about Jesus. Finally, she's, she's starting to get at it. She's, I know Messiah is coming, and he's going to tell us all things. And then Jesus just lets her know. That's me. I'm here. I'm here to save you. Unlike Nicodemus in the dark of night, Jesus can and does engage with this woman because her heart is open and ready for it. She wants what he's offering, whether or not she fully understands, just like us. We can seek after Jesus, whether we fully understand all of what it means to follow him. We can put our faith in him, whether we know all what it means to do so. Her heart is open and willing to accept it. And so in the light of day, it comes to faith. Give me this water so that I don't be thirsty anymore. Right? The, the, a woman with three strikes against her. A Samaritan, an outsider, and an adulteress. She's the first to hear from Jesus that he is the Messiah in the Gospel of John. She gets the first I am statement in the Gospel of John. No, not his disciples. Not the religious elite. A Samaritan woman, an outcast, caught in adultery. Because Jesus isn't looking for right rituals or religious practices. Not after right religion, religious ritual. It's after your heart. It's after relationship. You can have a relationship by putting your faith in him. Right where you're at. That's the path to salvation. That's what Messiah offers. That's who Jesus is and what he wants from you. Will you pray with me?